You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. This is your host, Blake Murphy, on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7, and joined today with Kent Hoder, who is going to be my guest here, talking about the Arizona Cardinals offseason. Is it Hoder, Hoder, how do you pronounce your last name? Because that's been, I think, an area of contention. It's 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 Hoder. So, I don't know, H-O-D-D, Hoder, E-R, yeah, whatever works. Hoder, Hoder is how it I've been called pl- plenty of things. Hodor was one when Revenge, uh, not Revenge of the Birds, when Game of Thrones was very, uh, very up and up and about. But uh, yeah, hot is the way we go. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, uh, Game of Thrones had a very interesting uh, late season collapse, very similar to what the Arizona Cardinals did this past season. Uh, interesting to say the least, for the most part. We can talk a little bit about that with the offseason preview. Uh, before we do that, we want to get into a little bit of Super Bowl talk, since it is obviously the big game this Sunday. This podcast should be launching that morning. Um, Kent, this is a interesting Super Bowl, given the fact that the Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow, two quarterbacks who have really not spent much time in the big game. We finally get some relief from the Tom Brady's of the world or from the Patrick Mahomes. It's a very different type of approach for the most part and one that is a lot of Cardinals fans upset given that it's your division rival and a year two quarterback are basically going at it in the big dance. A lot of Cardinals fans feel like it should have been them. Do you have any thoughts, at least for the most part, that we can get into maybe some of where we see the matchups are, some of the game predictions? Um, some people in the U.S. are now getting used to sports gambling and are be laying a lot of money down on the big game as well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit disappointing to see the Rams in the Super Bowl, but hey, they've they've, they've earned the spot. They've they've built their team in a in a very different way than you used to, and and I guess so of the Bengals. Really, you've got you've got two very different strategies of how the their team you've got a very young offensive lineup that they've built in-house and they've then gone out and spent a lot of money to put together a defensive unit that can can at least keep them in games and let Joe Burrow do Joe Burrow things yeah for sure especially with how the defense stepped up huge in the second half of the AFC championship game kind of they were the unsung heroes in a way just because Mahomes for maybe one of the first times in his career didn't look like Patrick Mahomes. They were uh, essentially able to close the gap. Burrow made some great plays with his arm and legs. Despite the lack of an offensive line, the Bengals are in their first Super Bowl on some, I think they're their first playoff game win in some 31 years. And now it's the fact that they're in the Super Bowl. Uh, it's been crazy. Uh, what would be kind of your projection for the game? Because I look at this team and just feel like it's, unless you can kind of see the Bengals defense step up again, it really just feels like the Rams are the superior team, especially with the pass rush against that porous Bengals line. We saw the Titans get nine sacks of Joe Burrow in the, uh, I believe it was, divisional round. It just feels like that the Rams are too good as far as on offense and defense, even with the likelihood that we're hearing Tyler Higbee is going to be out. Maybe the Bengals, um, solid tight end CJ Uzama plays after injury. It just feels like it's one of those games where it's not as close of a Super Bowl as we're wanting, although I hope that the Joe Burrow is able to make it a compelling game. Yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure how to feel about it because I I I don't want to count Joe Burrow out of anything. We've we've seen what he did at LSU. We've seen what he's done in 2 years in the NFL and 
it's he just seems to pick up and make plays when the plays need to be made. Um, it's it's something that I think it's it's really going to probably go the Rams' way, but I don't see it being more than seven points either way at the end of the game. I really think it's it's going to end up being a close game. It's going to be within a touchdown. It might end up with you know the Rams up ten, Bengals with the ball driving late to score and try and create a chance. But I think the end of the game is going to be relatively close, um, as long as as Stafford can continue to to take what the Bengals are going to give him. If if Stafford is forced to force force the ball downfield, try and force feed a Cooper Cup or an OBJ, then the Bengals defense can t- can try and take advantage of that. But with with the likes of, of Von Miller and Aaron Donald and a couple of the other guys on the on that Rams defense, it's it's going to really fall on the Bengals to be able to to take short grabs, turn them into long gains, make the Rams do something different defensively. Feels like there haven't been many teams that have been able to take advantage of the Rams linebacker situation. Jalen Ramsey, of course, is probably playing the best of any corner in football right now with maybe one or two players. I know you're a guy who loves watching cornerback play, which is something that, you know, a lot of people in the NFL are kind of can see it as a second hat when it's one of the most important uh, places on the field. It'll be interesting to see if their slot receivers and maybe moving Jamar Chase around a bit will end up being something the Bengals will do to attack. Um, get some of those quick throws, like you said, a uh, heavy dose of Joe Mixon to see if they can at least soften up what's been kind of a suspect Rams defense. The Niners seemed like they were giving it their best shot. Then end of the game, whoever had the best pass rush <laughs> seemed to be the one that was um, predicated on winning. And Jimmy Garoppolo makes the Kyler Murray-esque uh, bad throw, goes right to the Rams, puts the game away for them. Uh, there's been some rumors popping up today about Sean McVay potentially moving to the booth afterwards, somewhere of retiring, quote unquote, from the NFL, which some took as serious, wondering if an easier job in the booth becoming the next Tony Romo, getting paid a bit more would be something he'd want to do at, you know, just a little bit over 30 years old, or if that's just code word for contract extension. Uh, speaking of contract extension, that's what a lot of Cardinals fans are talking about. I don't feel like I want to talk much on the topic because I feel like everything revolving this idea of, oh, what's going on with Kyler Murray and Instagram is a non-story. I, I think it's been mostly a media creation and more of just speculation assumptions for all of that. The question I think that is possible to actually go over that I think would be real news is, do you try to extend Kyler Murray this offseason or would looking at waiting until year four be one of the areas for the Arizona Cardinals? Because it feels like at this stage, Kent, there's not much more he can do. You've seen an offensive rookie of the year, two Pro Bowls. His level of play has already been probably top five in Cardinals quarterback history. Shows how god-awful the position has been. It feels like it's more of when he gets extended versus if, but a lot of Cardinals fans seem to just not want to say that they're paying him that money, and some don't seem to want to pay him at all. It's an, an interesting conversation that's been there. What would be some of your thoughts, at least on the reality of what's probably happening at least and what it would look like if the Cardinals extended him now versus what I think they'll look at if looking at 2023 being the type of time that you would be adding on that type of salary cap money. And I, I think the biggest thing in, in this whole situation is, is probably the, 
the situation around the entire team is, is if you extend Kyler Murray this season and you then have another disappointing season, be it another late season collapse or just not performing up to expectations, you've got a head coach that's not going to be there anymore. You've got a GM that's probably not going to be there anymore. You're looking to hire a general manager. You're looking to hire a head coach and you're telling them, here is your quarterback for the next seven years. There is a lot of people in those jobs, general manager, head coach, and we've we've heard rumors and we've heard, you know, a lot of people don't want to come and work in Arizona and they don't want to join the team and there's reasons for that. But do you want to be able to give your new front office team and your new head coach the chance to go, this is my team and I will get my quarterback and I will build it the way I want to? Or, or are you going to risk sitting there saying, here is your quarterback for the next six years and we're paying him $45 million a year over those six years and see what kind of, uh, what kind of head coach GM candidates you get. I think there's something to be said for the freedom of being able to do what you want when you come into those jobs. Um, and you're probably going to end up with a lot more, a lot more candidates that are going to be willing and able to take on those roles. I look at something like what happened, I think the Giants with, with the, the, the package deal coming out of Buffalo and they're going to have their own chance to build whatever they want in that space. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that going forward. With, with Kyler, I would, I would just give him the money. The only is, does he want to be here? If he wants to be here, happy days, move on. We've heard nothing to the contrary. We, all we can assume is that he does. Everything else in this space is just media creation. Yeah, I, I think this was an important season for the Cardinals in terms of by going 7-0, and you showed that you're at least capable of being a winning organization too, Kyler. Previously, we'd seen, you know, at 6-3 and three and then the collapse, there were issues. We've seen kind of where they were you know, maybe not tops of the NFL, but he was having to do a lot of running. There was some late game heroics that got them to that six and three record. It was one of the easiest schedules to play in the NFL this season by being able to show that they could add talent around him, be able to put together a defense and then to see how injuries took place, how teams adjusted. I think that you're able to at least have enough of a selling point that, like you said, there doesn't seem to be any reason why he would want out. There's not been the turmoil that a team like the Houston Texans have had. You're not looking at a team that's committed to Pete Carroll and an antiquated approach um, for the next five years under contract. <laughs> you have to decide where the Seahawks may have to hope he retires versus being able to actually let go since these are guaranteed contracts. It's interesting as far as when it comes to, like you said, a fresh start with the Aries and the Giants, the perks of having a quarterback who's already like on your team who's already kind of established themselves as the guy. Some people I think are mixing up the difference between an elite quarterback, which I think you're talking about the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allen ascension um, with what Tom Brady had been, obviously at least is a different standard with the idea of a franchise quarterback, which we've seen can define the likes of Matthew Stafford, Kirk cousins in a lot of different ways. That's something I think with the Cardinals that people have wanted Kyler, I think, to be in the elite category. And because he's been maybe in the top 10, maybe you could even say top six or top seven, but hasn't quite been in that top five category. And we have not seen the playoff success. I think that's been where a lot of people have been speculating, saying, is this 
the person who's going to win. There's been questions at least about body language and, you know, there's a lot of areas you can always push back on that as far as, oh, was that the case with Tom Brady or do people like looking at the Russell Wilson sort? And, you know, Russell Wilson, he's got best body language for a quarterback who's demanded to be traded over the last two seasons that you've ever seen. And I think it's a lot of cases is like what I've talked about. When it comes to the NFL, people just really want to win. And a lot of recency bias that I've seen is how you feel about your team is usually what's the last performance that you saw from them. There was positivity about the Arizona Cardinals from whooping the Rams in that 2016 season that Ken, you and I probably didn't see translate over into the 2017 season whatsoever. But everyone's like, oh, this team went eight and eight. They just missed a few kicks. Let's see how they come back. They roll back in. A lot of Cardinals Twitter said they need to get a quarterback. The future has to come. Team decides to sit still. And that's really been the domino effect we've seen for the past few years. Uh, can you talk a bit about some of that with your experience? Because I know we've had talks about with Steve Kime over Twitter or in direct messages, talks about their scouting department. There's just so much that seems to have hinged on Arizona trying to find one of these types of high-level quarterbacks. And once you kind of have them, despite having all these ups and downs of the Cardinals, you've gotten to a playoff and 11-win team. A lot of fans have seemed to be more than adequate to just kind of toss them back in the pile, get a new one, and start over again, which is not, I think, as easy as it as many people are making it out to be. Definitely not as easy as it's made out to be. There are... There are 30 other teams in the NFL that would love a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. It's not like they just appear out of anywhere. So to say that we want to move on from a Kyler or we're not happy with Kyler because of some of the, some of the situations that he's put himself in with his body language and, and, and the likes, um, it's, it just seems like a very knee-jerk, very what have you done for me lately type reaction. But if, if I just go back a little bit in terms of you look at the start this year and, and seven and oh, and it wasn't, it wasn't that we were, we, they beat the Titans, the number one seed in the AFC. You beat the Rams who are in the Super Bowl. You should have beaten the Packers who were the number one seed in the NFC. That's, that is a whole heap of absolutely amazing wins to have on your resume halfway through a season. I think the issue that we look at, and it does get overlooked, is the Cardinals tend to rely on a few players a lot more than others, and injuries really, really impacted the team down the stretch. And the second piece of that conversation, which dovetails into the Kyler discussion, is that when the pressure really gets on, Kyler does tend to feel that pressure a little more than what you would want your franchise quarterback to feel. He forces throws a little bit more. He looks a little more flustered in the pocket. He looks rushed. And it leads to bad decisions and bad plays. He can let those, let those sort of plays affect him a little bit. There was a two or three play stretch against Seattle where the game was close. And it it was a one-score game. And, and it goes, there was three sacks and four plays that lost more than 10 yards. There was the muffed punt. You end up Seattle scoring a touchdown. We come back onto the field after that. There's another big sack. You're putting yourself in second and 20, second and 25. And it's it's the small little subset of six or seven plays in the middle of a game that completely change the outcome of that game. 
So with Kyler, I really think that is the only part of his game that he really needs to clean up is, is how does he react in those pressure situations? Now, some of that does seem to be a little bit of how the offense is designed in that you don't seem to see those really easy little short check down routes. Cliff really wants to attack vertically. There's a lot of downfield routes, a lot of routes that take that time to develop. And some of that is what, what defenses are doing to try and react to what Arizona is doing. And you've got a lot of teams now going, Kyler's escape route is left or right. He's not running back through the middle of the pocket. So what we're going to do is we're going to take our outside guys. We're going to sit there. We're going to put them in contain and we're going to rush through the middle. We're going to send linebackers. We're going to try and get four on three up the middle. We're going to try and get two guys holding contain. Kyler's going to try and escape. And that's when your contain guys come into play. And and we've seen massive plays go against Arizona. You look at all the big the big plays that Kyler does, you know, the Hopkins T D against Buffalo. You look at the throw he made to Rondale Moore earlier this year along the sideline. There was the throw against the Titans. They're all he's able to escape the pocket, reset, get his eyes back downfield and make a throw. So Teams are really trying to get into Arizona and be like, if we can keep Kyler in the pocket, we've got a chance to win a lot of football games because he will eventually throw us the football. He will eventually make mistakes. He will eventually take those big sacks. So there's that's that's where Kyler needs to clean up his game. If If we can get that to the next level with him, then you are looking at someone who has the capability to be that Mahomes Allen level quarterback and who is going to win you games in the playoffs because it doesn't matter if your de- defense is stopping anybody. Kyle is going to have the ability to just continue to run the ball down the field, roll the ball down the field and create points, score touchdowns. Um, the, the overall sort of team building aspect of it in Arizona, Kyle is really the first guy this team's ever drafted. They tried with Matt Leinert. They tried with Josh Rosen. They had Jake Plummer way back when. But the guys that they've had success with, Carson Palmer came in a trade. Kurt Warner came through free agency and was actually there to be a guy to mentor Matt Leinert. And that's when we ended up in the whole farcical two-quarterback situation with Ken Wisenhunt. Mm-hmm. The, the, the team has never really had this draft and develop at the position thought process and that front office that Steve Kime front office you look at the names behind everything it's it's the same lineup it's the same same guys who were regional scouts who were area scouts who have moved forward into into pro personnel positions or director of scouting positions it's a very insular unit and it has been for 20 years so a lot of what the team does in that space, you can you can really map over through through history, and you can understand where they want to go with with positions, what sort of roles they want for positions, and it it just makes it a very interesting look forward into an off season, I guess, when it seems like the team needs to do something different. Yeah, the thing that you mentioned at least as far as when it comes to drafting developing it's part of why cliff kingsbury as a head coach was brought in was due to the history 
of developing quarterbacks, um, whether the team was bringing him in to run an air raid scheme for Kyler Murray with that number one pick or whether or not they were looking at him to develop Josh Rosen and Cliff Kingsbury being the quarterback savant that he has been of being able to find and draft guys is like, yeah, we're going to probably swerve in this direction instead, which as we've seen is have the Cardinals go from a three win team to what seems to be at least a team that even if they're not necessarily going to be in the playoffs every year, they're contending for the playoffs every single year. A lot of the team and other stuff, like you said, I think is seeing, and this is kind of a take that I thought was very good, how when Kyler plays well, and a lot of that can sometimes be that he's in a comfortable position, they're able to play with a lead, he does well. But when the team has it where it's all on his shoulders to have to play well, we've seen times that he's come through, such as with the, I think back to... The Niners game, he made a few big plays to DeAndre Hopkins, put the game away in the first Niners game against Trey Lance. The Green Bay game uh, was able to make some conversions down the field. They had uh, Chase Edmonds, I believe, had a big run. But there's been a lot of times where we've seen where the Cardinals positions around him are not quite at a talent level where they're able to see people carry the team if their quarterback ends up being abused or put under pressure. I think that you make a great point about how Due to whether it's the size, the lack of ability for having windows to see. Kyler's been more of a guy that we've seen throw over the middle um, when he likes having big targets, when he can go downfield. Teams have been able to kind of key into some parts of Arizona's offense. And what I noted was the change that really seemed to take place was when DeAndre Hopkins went down. That safety valve was gone. Suddenly, you've got 33-year-old A.J. Green who can't run is taking on cornerback ones. Christian Kirk has been kind of their volume downfield guy as far as lower volume. <laughs> he gets maybe, you know, five catches or so, and he gets one-on-one coverage, is able to get open. They'll be able to have these design plays for him. And it seemed like that that shift for a lot of cases was also uh, exacerbated by teams realizing they could attack Arizona's run defense seemingly at will. And that was where I saw from the first half of the season Arizona's this team forcing turnovers, able to take good field position, be able to make some big plays, and essentially then just run the ball out in the fourth quarter to a team that in the second half of the season, Kyler went from averaging about 30 attempts a game with a few runs to 40 or so. He's having to throw the ball a lot more because the Cardinals were trailing in a lot of those games. So like you said, I think it's one of those cases where the depth that Arizona and Steve Kime has had They're a very top-heavy team, and when you take away some of that top-end talent in the NFL, you're still supposed to have good enough depth to be able to win for for a time, obviously. Um, But there's no question in my mind that it is a talent type of league. And we look across the board, there's times where I'd watch Kyler, you know, maybe try to escape into a sack. The teams are baiting him into that. And he's trying to make a play like, ah, it doesn't work. Then there's other plays where you watch the play that's designed. Guys are not getting open against one-on-one coverage. And the right guard gets pushed back right into Kyler where he doesn't even have a chance to react. He just gets knocked over. And it's like, gosh, can't you wish it could be one or the other that you would be able to say, oh, just fix the offensive line he's fixed or just improve Kyler and everything will be good. It's not really, I think, that simple. And in a lot of ways, I think that's where... The Cardinals, in my opinion, may be in a bit of trouble if they're not able to, like you said, 
be able to pick up and have a competent 2023 season. And that's where I'm going to shift into talking a bit about, you know, just some of the talent, some of the level on this team. I think you feel confident about the quarterback position, what we've seen. Maybe there's some questions with the heavy pressure, but let's talk about with some of these guys, the departing talent on this team. Do you think the Cardinals are in a place where they can kind of run it back through next year? Or are there going to be some struggles? Because I look at the roster as it's constructed and go, gosh, unless the Cardinals are able to kind of hit a home run in free agency and also boost some of these key positions in the draft, it it feels like they may be a, a weaker team in 2022 than it was this last year in 2021 when they seemed to be kind of in a mode for their year. Let's go for it. I, I feel the same way. It's the only positions that I feel comfortable in right now on this team is quarterback and safety. Everywhere else is improvement needed or, or improvement available. Um, obviously, you've got Hopkins on one side. You've got your wide receiver one there. That's, that's going to be there as long as he's here and as long as he's willing to be here. He is the wide receiver one. He's going to be that guy that you can rely on. But outside of him, what does Rondale Moore become? Um, do you want Rondale Moore to become more of your vertical threat? Do you want to push him down the field more? I think we need to. But you can't then lose his ability as a first down screen guy who's going to get you those four or five yards, which is so important in the scheme of the game. You know, you put yourself in second and six instead of second and ten, second and seven instead of second and fifteen. You just you're just moving a lot better. Christian Kirk isn't gonna be here next year unless we pay him a hell of a lot more than he's worth. Um AJ yeah, AJ Green I don't is know about that with Kirk. A lot of people would like to have him back, but I just look at the cost he's gonna have and look at the draft and say Rather head to the draft in one of those rounds and find another slot receiver who can be probably just as productive, maybe not as familiar. It's it's going to be a decision to make there. Exactly. You you would rather. I we would rather move on. It's or I would rather move on. I'll say that for myself. Whether whether the team does, what's the team willing to pay? There's a lot of different questions in that space and there's not a lot of cap room in, in, in Arizona at the moment. So if you're going to pay a guy like Christian Kirk, there's going to be opportunity cost elsewhere. And I, I just don't think we can afford to pay him. I do have worries with this team's history of drafting wide receivers. I think we've really had two real successes in 20 years at the position. And one of them was an impossible to miss pick. And the other one was the guy we picked the year before. So you take out those two years and you go 18 years without a real competent wide receiver being drafted onto the team. You're going to ask a few questions in that space. Um, but yeah, I think we have to go to the draft to try and fill that wide receiver tight end target room because we don't have the money to try and throw big dollars at good free agents in either of those positions. Yeah, with the weapons that the Cardinals have had previously this past year, you felt like the the way that Cliff Kingsbury's scheme has worked, you want to have 
in a lot of ways, four competent receivers because if you look at how they've built the scheme, it's trying to be able to take advantage not of matchups, but of getting to the line quick, being able to set and make easier reads and throws for your quarterback and using speed to catch teams, maybe not necessarily off guard, but being able to say, hey, this is a one-on-one outside with A.J. Green against a 5'10 corner. I'll take that toss-up to the 6'3 wide receiver over the matchup of a 5'10 corner in his second year in the NFL or seeing how Hopkins on the outside, Green on the outside, being able to clear room for the likes of a Christian Kirk, uh, being able to have one-on-one coverage sort of spreading teams out. And the way that Cliff's offense works as far as running the ball Being able to have more of a power run scheme with guards that can get moving in space, be able to make use of it, trying to be able to bring those safeties down. And then you kind of see the matchup of, hey, you get into a spot where teams are playing that high end cover two. They've got extra players in the box to stop the run. Great. We'll swing a pass out to Rondale Moore. He just has to make one guy miss and suddenly you pick up a first down. I think teams over time maybe got keyed into some parts of Arizona's scheme as far as being able to stop some attributes. And at the end of the day, they realized, hey, we're going to play two guys deep, knowing that we'll be able to, you know, Kyler is a quarterback who will take some risks and throws, but he's not one of those quarterbacks who will do that regardless. Like he's not a guy who throws into double coverage because he understands you don't want to turn the ball over. Sometimes there are times where maybe he trusts his arm a bit much, but for the most part in those deep throws, he at least seems to have this innate understanding of being able to make plays. That's why he's one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL. Yeah, the team went after Hopkins went down, though. It showed that they really didn't have wide receivers that were able to beat teams. And I feel like in a team-building sense, you take a look at... You know, teams like how the Cardinals were constructed reminded me of the Bills. You've got your wide receiver one, Hopkins to Diggs, and a bunch of solid guys who are able to make plays underneath where your run game then ended up becoming a running the ball to set up the pass type of a deal where your goal is essentially to keep running the ball with teams spread out, be able to then set up a lot of those different pass concepts. I think Buffalo did a better job of you know, moving guys around and finding matchups, more of that pro style. But the other alternative that we've seen with the Cardinals have had before, like you mentioned, is having more of the two threats in the passing game, knowing that you can't really double both guys because someone's going to find a way to beat you. That would be more of the Fitzgerald Bolden type of route. I would compare that to the Chiefs with the Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill type of area where we see the Chiefs able to use Tyreek in ways similar to Rondale Moore. And then use him, of course, downfield as that elite threat. I think right now, the way the Cardinals, what we saw was a lot of success with that model, similar to Buffalo, where you're able to take advantage of having that alpha wide receiver. When he went away, I think we got to see part of where that dependability in the NFL can be is sometimes the healthiest team, when you build a certain way, just needs to have that. I think the Rams identified when Robert Woods went down, we got to get another guy like that in here. They, of course, acquire Odell Beckham Jr. There's a lot to be said as far as for if you want to try to address the wide receiver room with adding that second threat, making it a priority for Arizona, whether that's in the draft or committing to a long-term approach where you're, you know, for the first time paying two guys. 
I think there's also room to be said, at least, about how DeAndre Hopkins went from not missing games to suddenly missing games and then missing the rest of the season. I'm not ready to jump on and say count him out yet. That's, I think, rushing things. But there's a lot of other needs in this team, Can't Where do you think that addressing and fixing and helping the offense get boosted does compared to some of these needs on the defensive side? You've got an edge rusher need, a defensive line need, even if J.J. Watt ends up, for whatever reason, returning to the team for the future, you still need to get someone next to him. The cornerback room, of course, I think can be addressed. And we haven't even talked about how Cardinals have drafted these two first-round off-ball linebackers that really have not been able to become the stars that the team expected them to be. And now there's questions about, you know, if Vance Joseph is going to be the person for the Cardinals to develop these guys, or if, you know, a new voice or a new scheme may be something that benefits them. There's so much to be able to look at with Arizona. And they're really limited, like you said, in the amount of picks that they have and the amount of cap space they have to really address some of those different areas. It really, the more I look at how the roster for, for 2021 was constructed and looking at some of the contracts that are sitting here, that really was, we're putting all our chips in in, this, in, in on this year, sort of a season for Arizona. And it started out looking great and it didn't finish that way. But in terms of balancing, building an offense and building a defense, there's, Sometimes you need to you need to just lean into lean into your fastball, lean into what you do really really well, and I think in Arizona you you almost need to lean into that offense. And if we can sit here and say we are going to score thirty to thirty three points every time we step on the field, we have a defense that can win with that. And we saw that earlier and. Earlier in 2021, when the team was was healthy, going on on all cylinders, you were scoring 30-plus points a game. You were getting leads. You were scoring fast and early. And the defense then came into its own where I think it's almost like Arizona's built their defense sort of like your Manning-era Colts. You're trying to get pass rush. Mm. You're trying to cover the pass, and you're trying to create turnovers. That same Colts team who also had the similar troubles in the playoffs, could not stop the run. And it was only ever when teams were able to hold Peyton Manning, hold them hold them uh, to, to not getting leads, be able to run the ball, be able to slow the game down, that they really ran into trouble. And that's, again, you're looking at they had Harrison and Wayne and they had Dallas Clark and they had Brandon Stokely. They had a lot of good targets in that, in that building. Um, it's how... The 2008 Cardinals were able to really push the ball because you had Kurt Warner, you had Larry Fitzgerald, you had Anquan Bolden, we had Steve Breston doing do, doing good things. I think you look at those teams as well, and you had a really good mix of receivers. You know, Fitzgerald was doing different things to Bolden, who was doing different things to Breston. You had you look at you look at the Chiefs. Kelsey is going to be doing different things from Hill. I look at even at even at Dallas, you know, you got CD Lamb and and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. They're all they're all going to be doing slightly different things within the offense. Whereas I look at Arizona, you've got you've got DeAndre Hopkins as your one wood, he's your fastball, he's your number one guy. He can do anything you want him to do. 
but we seem to have put a lot of similar guys, your Kirk and your Moore, your Andy Isabella type. Um, they're all very similar players fitting into similar roles. There's no contested ball receiver there. You don't have really have a, a guy who you you can do what Anquan Bolden used to do is he's running a slant. I don't care where the defender is. I'm throwing him the ball because he's going to come away with it. There's there's no real contested ball receiver in there. And, and it's not something that Kyler wants to do a lot of, and it's not something that Cliff's scheme demands that you do a lot of. But it is something that in the NFL, as games get closer and tighter and 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 a lot a lot more low scoring, depending on what's happening in, in the playoffs. I look at the Bills Chiefs game, and that just that was a defense optional game. Um, <laughs> but you look at you look at those those contested ball receivers are going to be a lot of value, especially in moving the chains when you're in trouble when you're looking to get five yards. Um, the the balance between offense and defense, yeah. As I said, I think they need to they need to lean into building a high powered offense, and then build something coherent defensively through through scheme and a number of players that really allow you to to lean into a high powered offense with a free flowing defense. Now. Is Vance the guy to help that happen? I don't know. I don't think it's his style. It's not what he wants to do. It's it's there's there's very much seems to be a disconnect between the kind of defensive players we're bringing into the building and the kind of defensive players that we're putting onto the field, specifically at that linebacker position, where all Vance seems to want to do is have a reliable guy who I know is going to be in the right spot and make a tackle versus the guy who's going to be able to cover the entire field sideline to sideline can attack the quarterback and drop into coverage, but he might make those three or four mistakes that cost you a couple of first downs, maybe even a touchdown here or there. They're, those kinds of guys, your Isaiah Simmons, your Zayvon Collins are, are bought into a defense to create big plays they're there to create turnovers. They're there to create sacks. They're there to really harness the power created by a high-powered offense and just really run away with games. Um, de- defensive, yeah, I, l- I look at I look at the cornerback room and Byron Murphy, similar sort of situation to Christian Kirk. What what is he? What does he do well? Where does he win? It's, it, it seems to be a guy who can do a lot of things okay, but gets beaten a lot, gives up a lot of space and coverage a lot. Um, we really noticed when Robert Orford wasn't out there. Well, I did anyway. I watched I watched a lot of those corners play a lot, and you can really have a look at when the Arizona Cardinals defense sort of started trending away, falling over a little bit. It was when Robert Orford wasn't out there. Mm-hmm. Marco Wilson coming into a second year, wasn't great. Yeah. It was his first year, actually. He's a rookie that he, I think at least to some degree, like you said, we saw how Robert Alford was able to cover with how Byron being able to be in the slot to be able to not just blitz the quarterback, be able to play run coverage. He was kind of a guy who, when they played zone was had to be able to look for the ball to make plays. Did a great job of like, he had a ton of interceptions in that role. 
But like you said, when Alford left, it was very much like the Hopkins of their offense, but that was almost the Hopkins of their defense where he was able to help cover for a lot of places. And then, you know, Marco would get beat on some areas and moves, but he would also have some pass breakups because you're trusting him in one-on-one without Alford. It became very key and to the point where the Cardinals injuries just really wrecked the team. And that was a team building Avenue of you go out and sign AJ green, who's looked slow and hasn't stayed healthy. Resign Robert Alford, bring in a JJ Watt who was fit and had to two full seasons in his career, I believe, and then had a draft picks that have had issues staying healthy. The biggest positive being Zach Allen finally stepping up when he was healthy, even playing through injury. But a lot of it was simply seeing how the way the Cardinals wanted to build their team, it was a spot of their counting on players who you historically have not been able to count on in the past. And I think we can see how that played out, but I do want to touch a little bit more on your take and how the Cardinals have had disconnects in the front office, in the offensive room, I would say even, and in the defensive side, especially we've gone from Terrell Suggs and this switch to a four, three back to a three, four with the Vance Joseph defense. We've seen him play Tanner Vallejo and other players over these types of linebackers. I think we've talked in some of Revenge of the Birds about how the closest defense that may help the Cardinals is really a 4-3 defense that would allow more of Anthony Barr of the Vikings and Eric Hendricks in the middle of the field. These big play guys who have this athleticism can move around. And instead, we've seen the Cardinals force them into this type of 3-4 role that Vance, who never really with Denver, Miami, had star linebackers. He would just scheme them into being into the right place. Their eyes are getting out and not looking in the right spots. Either they're coaching differently. I think it's been that type of area and fit where, like you said, this is maybe some of Michael Bidwell having to pay the pie to Piper of having a coaching staff that was brought in to this general manager who had been long time, like 20 plus years in Arizona. And I think there's a disconnect there that is frightening for a lot of Cardinals fans because it feels like, They've been getting closer, but are still not quite on the same page. And there's, I think, a lot of questions going into 2022 if that's going to be something that ends up being an Achilles heel for this franchise. And I, I very much look at it, it seems to be quite clear that whether it's Steve Kime, whether it's Michael Bidwell, the, the team wants to run a 3 4 defense. There is this overarching want to run that 3 4 defense because. I assume they've seen success from 3-4 defense. They've, you're looking at, you know, the Patriots' success. They're looking at the Steelers' success, that sort of that sort of defensive mold. There are so many different variables and variants of a 3-4 defense as well. Um, you look back at when Arizona had a really successful 3-4 defense, when you had your likes of Darrell Washington on the inside or a Carlos Dansby on the inside. Most people couldn't name the guys who were, were rushing the pass on those defenses. You know, you had some sort of combination of a Clark Hagens or a Chike Kiefer or or a Travis Lavoy was there for a while. You had Dwight Freeney for a little while. You had John Abraham coming through for a little while, playing as as those third down pass rush specialists. Those were really good defenses because they were they were well schemed. They knew what they wanted to do. You were relying on one gapping guys up front. You were looking at Darnell Dockett, Calais Campbell, creating havoc. You contain your linebackers cleaning up. 
there doesn't seem to be that coherent plan on this defense. And whether it is the lack of a coherent plan, whether Vance doesn't know exactly what he wants to do with the talent at his disposal, or whether the talent at his disposal isn't what he wants that allows him to do what he wants to do, there's there's just something not quite right there. And I, I look back and, and I sort of go, well, the number of times we saw a Chandler Jones dropping into coverage. Well, yeah, you, you're going to have to do that with a drop linebacker. You can't do that with Marcus Golden. You can't do you can't do that with most of the team. It's it's almost got to a point where, and especially early season, we saw it a lot. When we were using Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins, you had Isaiah Simmons playing base outside linebacker that allowed him to be that drop linebacker. It allowed him to play a fast downhill role against the run. And and it really fit his skill set. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. And you had Zayvon Collins playing next to a Jordan Hicks in the middle. And you had the vet and the rookie, the classic combination. Hicks was always going to be getting Zayvon in the right spot to do the right thing. And Zayvon Collins was making some big plays. He made he made some really key stops early season. He saw a lot of snaps early season. And it, I, it just makes no sense to me that you have a guy like Zayvon Collins who was playing those snaps early on in the season just not be able to see the field late season, especially when the team was not going well, and especially when it wasn't to do with his health because he's still playing 15 to 20 special team snaps a game. So he wasn't he wasn't injured. They just voluntarily took him off the field, and it, it just makes no sense. Um, I don't think you're going to find many people that will disagree with that, but... I, I sort of agree that the way it's shaping up sort of fits better with a 43 defense. You can you can allow Simmons and Collins to do what they want to do. But you then, you're investing in in different types of, of players when you come into that that flip. And we don't have, there's no, there's no one gap three, there's no one gap three technique that's going to, that you can put into this Arizona team and say, go you know Zach Allen's not going to not going to fill that role he's he's going to be a good player in that team he's probably going to play a strong side end but you look at who's who's going to play the roles on the on the defensive line who now this is your defensive line that's going to create all your pass rushes this is where your pressure is going to come from and I, I think that's part of Arizona's biggest downfall is you're taking your talent off the field and you can't get to the passer you're not creating that pressure, and that the the disconnect with with Vance and Steve or wherever it might be is there seems to be one vision of how we want the defense to look, and one vision of how we can actually make the defense play. And it's just there's there's different pieces. I look at a guy like Jordan Phillips who we signed big deal a couple of years ago, and really seen not a lot out of him. Um, Devon Kennard, another guy, big deal. We were hoping was going to come in, be a pass rusher for us. Again, not a lot of, not a lot there. You know, there's, there's two guys that probably shouldn't be on this team next year. And if you designate Jordan Phillips as a post-June one cut, you've got 15 million of cap room between those two guys. And you can probably not lose too much. 
with not having those guys on the roster. Yeah, no, it's been one of the areas where Kime put a lot. They even went after Devon Kennard over the likes of a uh, Marcus Golden, in part because of hoping to have some of that coverage ability. It just has not really materialized. And, you know, you can make a post-June type of cut, at least, of, you know, Jordan Phillips. Save yourselves about $10 million or so, go for about $3 million. But then you're pushing a lot of money back into all of a sudden your 2023 Cardinals, which it's been one thing Steve Kime has been typical to do while they've been trying to build a winning team is he's kind of kicked the can down the road, which I think you can continue to do while you're competing. It's also an avenue where, you know, the Cardinals invested a lot into some positions that haven't, like you said, seen the field as much. And I think they've invested a lot of the decisions into what I would say is their star players. Like the Cardinals under Steve Wilkes, everyone knew that Chandler Jones is a double-digit sack guy, but not really a special player in a 4-3 because you can see how in New England he shifted and all of a sudden in a stand-up outside linebacker role. The Cardinals, you know, it's hard to see right now, but I got like you've got your five players, you know, your you know your nose tack, defensive tackle, your defensive end. You got your Isaiah Simmons on one side in coverage. We saw Hassan Reddick, kind of a natural fit in that role of Nabi not being good at reading zone coverage, but hey, tight end stays, you get a tight end matchup, tight end leaves, we can call where you're blitzing or even just rushing the quarterback. Maybe they'll try to chip you. Giving Chandler Jones that one-on-one matchup stand up outside. Your two linebackers are filling in the middle. I think, like you said, it was almost an avenue where some fit issues popped up. Simmons is not a guy that you want, I think, full-time rushing the quarterback but he's a guy that we've seen can rush the quarterback super well. I, I compared him and said that he reminded me of a Derwin James or a larger size honey badger that can take on that role and still be able to cover. And instead you're pushing him into this three, four Sam type of linebacker that just doesn't seem like it's a great fit for the most part. Now I understand why Arizona did this because you look at Steve Welks playing zone coverage with a four, three Chandler Jones. It didn't work. It was not a good fit for the Cardinals star players and Patrick Peterson and Chandler Jones. What's changed, I think, is now we've seen Patrick Peterson's gone to a new team. Chandler Jones is not expected to be back with the Arizona Cardinals. Suddenly you have the opportunity to be able to say, we don't have to necessarily build our defense around these star players. Now the players we need to build around are these linebackers and putting them in areas of strength. And I think that if we see the Cardinals continue to try to force the square peg into a round hole, I think you'll see a lot more of that second half defense because, like you said, teams were realizing, hey, we have linebackers have their eyes in the wrong place. I think Zaven Collins was a guy who teams would be able to bite on play action or have different option routes. You could kind of take advantage of that lack of recognition in advance. Essentially, he was saying, hey, we're going to toss a player who can simply just you know, be a step or two behind <laughs> who's going to have to make those plays. And teams took advantage of that in Arizona. And it turned into a spot where the Cardinals suddenly, instead of being this team that was able to force turnovers, get pressure, put teams in negative game scripts without JJ Watt being like you said, a, a need for that one tack kind of maybe nose tackle or defensive tackle guy. When he filled that role was able to get matchups to splitting guards or getting pressure that really did force teams into having issues as far as being back in third and long. The Cardinals issues, I think, extended to once they could not stop the run, even when they were selling out to stop the run, it was basically season over at that point. You don't have the horses on offense to be able to rebuild, to come back. 
And I'm really curious as to how they're going to address the defense in particular, because, you know, there's been no firings. Vance Joseph was up for the Dolphins job, did not get um, that job. Of course, it goes to Niners coach Mike McDaniel. And you got a decision to make, I think, at linebackers coach, because if you ride it out with Billy Davis, I think it'll mean either a you're assuming that there's issues that the player has where he's being coached properly and you're not seeing that development. So you just need to give it time or B that the Cardinals and you talked about this coaching staff maybe aren't able to get in players who let's say that the worst goes to worst, the Cardinals defense plummets to a bottom you know, quarter of the league. And suddenly you're like, we need to make changes. Now this is not working with Vance Joseph. Maybe Davis is one of the few guys that you could actually come and step in and try to find a different approach or an area. I could see the Cardinals moving on from him to try to find someone who could help adjust um, similar to what I think we saw with their wide receivers coach. David Rye went on to a different position in college football. Cardinals were probably not going to retain him, but it's nicer than, you know, simply saying you're fired. That'll be something that I think is the one off season move that's outside of making drastic defensive changes, which may involve changing your defensive coach. It may involve trading away one of the players that isn't as good of a fit for this defense you're running. I think that it's one of those areas where Arizona could try to salvage some of what they're doing. And so far, while we haven't seen it yet, it does really feel like that this is going to be a very telling season because, like you said, Kime and Cliff Kingsbury are going into their last year with one year left on their deal going to be a lot to be determined if the Cardinals can get back to who they were in the first half of the season and then make additional improvements, adjustments, or if we're going to see a little bit more of that second half Cardinals team where they simply don't have the talent to be able to overcome some of these places and the fit that we're putting in is schematically not great. And that's what's toughest for me because I think when I look at where the Cardinals are, most people seem to question Kyler and Cliff is the first thing, which, which makes sense. Your quarterback and head coach, they're the leaders. They're under the most scrutiny. I simply feel like we've seen what Kyler has been able to do. We know who he is. And I think we've seen what Cliff Kingsbury can do. We know where he is. There may be some limits more that than people have wanted. But it feels in a lot of ways like this is a Cardinals team in front office that is limiting in some of the cases what Arizona can do simply just because of, like you said, this kind of adherence to not being on the same page. Do you think that this is a spot where Cardinals fans should be worried? Like, let's say we get to the end of 2022. Cardinals are a 10 and seven type of team. Don't make the playoffs, just miss. They decide they're going to be able to do a bit better at the coaching staff, but they keep the same front office. I think you and I would be in agreement that you would be in a really tough spot for Arizona because what we've seen is that the front office and the coaching staff not being on the same page has been almost like an anchor around the neck for some of these coaches in being able to do what they're trying to do in winning football games. Very, very much a, I, I would, very much a worst case scenario for me there in terms of if, if this team goes 10 and 7 and you move on from Cliff, you move on from the coaching staff, but you retain Steve Kime. From where I sit, you're retaining the problem and getting rid of part of the solution. The way the way this the way this roster was constructed, I looked at this roster at the start of last season. It was not a playoff roster. This what well, I was not I was expecting nine and eight, eight and nine, middle of the pack, miss the playoffs again. Sort sort of team and 
And I think a lot of people were, were sort of in agreement before last season. I think really starting 7-0 changed the lens that we view the season in. And you come to the end of the season and, and a lot of people are saying, well, no, we've got the talent to win as evidenced by 7-0. and But compare that with the rest of the league. Where is the talent level really at? Where is the depth really at? Um, I I don't think if this team doesn't achieve their goals in 2022, it needs to be an entire reset. But we don't know how that is going to roll. Um, I also don't think we're going to see significant changes defensively with Vance staying in his role. Obviously, Brinston Buckner's going elsewhere. His contract expired. Whether the team tried to retain him, didn't try and retain him, didn't want him, whether he wanted to move, whatever, it's he's not there anymore. You're going to have to bring someone in on the defensive line. Where this could be an opportunity for Arizona is, is tap Billy on the shoulder and sort of say, hey, Mr. Davis, you're going to coach the defensive line this year. And you're either going to coach the defensive line this year or you're not going to coach for us this year. And you bring in some fresh, fresh meat and fresh thoughts and fresh, fresh eyes at that linebacker spot because I think there there would be a lot of linebacker coaches around the country saying that you know this would be a really really good job to jump on um you've got two incredibly talented players in this role that just need to fine-tune their game to be able to get on the field for what Vance Joseph wants them to do um in, in that role, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that you you can talk about, you can say, and you can you can roll through different schemes and different formats and how you're going to attack a quarterback and how you're going to cover. And Vance is is pretty pretty set in, in what he what he likes to do and what he wants to continue to do. Puts a lot of stress on his safeties and run fits while playing deep. Puts a lot of stress on his linebackers to play disciplined football. I, I don't see much change coming there. It's going to be on. It's going to be on Isaiah and Zavin to force themselves onto the field, and it would not surprise me. Week six, week seven next year, the Cardinals are terribly terrible defensively, and Simmons is playing seventy percent of your snaps or eighty percent of your snaps. Well, Simmons is the guy seeing the field. See, because he can play and fit in so many different spaces, he's always on the field which is an, another aspect I'll come back to in a, in a second. But Zayvon Collins, you're going to, put him on the fi- going to put him on the field at linebacker and nowhere else. And if he's not seeing the field, it's likely going to be on some of his own shortcomings, but it's also on Vance not being willing to put that talented player on the field. You Would, you, would you rather have a guy making a, a, a mental mistake and being a half step behind to start, but being able to make that up? Or would you have a guy make the right choice but be the step behind just because he doesn't have the physical capability to stay with someone? It's 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 almost a rock and a hard place type argument. I know I would much rather put the talented guy on the field and sort of say, I'm backing you to learn on the job than put the guy with no future on the field. Um, but there is inherent risk in doing that because... Maybe he's not half a step late. Maybe he's 
two or three steps late in diagnosing. Maybe he's not filling the right hole on a run. Maybe he's not getting enough depth in coverage. Maybe he covers the wrong guy, and all of a sudden the other team's in the end zone. That those mistakes that a player can make are really costly. With 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 Isaiah playing a young guy in so many positions is probably hurting his development a little bit because he's not able to sit there and go, this is my job. And I think for better or worse, a guy like Simmons, you need to give him see ball, find ball, hit ball, sort of, you know, just you stand there, you watch where the ball goes and you fly to it. That that is the kind of role that he excelled in in Clemson, and it was something that was talked about during that whole draft cycle. Is that Clemson built their entire defensive scheme around letting Isaiah Simmons be Isaiah Simmons? That was never going to be what he was going to be able to do in the NFL, and there was a lot of contention around how well he projected to the next level because of that. And I think we're seeing a lot of those growing pains, a lot of those where a lot of those flashes are coming through where you see when he is given a simple assignment, you cover this guy one-on-one. He succeeds. He gets in place. He's created turnovers doing that. You know, you rush the passer, fill gap A. There's there's a lot of different different things in that space that, that Simmons, I think he's clearly ahead of Collins, quite clearly ahead of Collins in that space. He's had the extra year in the system, which should help. But we're also putting so much onto his plate that I I wonder if we're ever going to see the best of him unless you really tighten up what role you want him to play. Um, and, and within advanced Joseph defense, at this stage, you can't really tighten up what role he's going to play because on different downs and in different situations, he's a guy you want doing a different job. Sure. And that's been one area that I've felt like was the safety position seemed the best fit for him in terms of seeing how his recognition was in the box or even seeing when he was back in man coverage or having a simple zone assignment where rather than having to have two linebackers playing some sort of kind of a rip coverage where, hey, if their running back moves out of the backfield this way and the tight end stays to block, suddenly you're having to you know, run to a quarterback side. Like there's multiple areas of having to see and adjust. It is the simple roles that seem to do best. We've kind of seen how late in the season, I think of the Seahawks game, he was playing outside corner at one point due to the injuries the Cardinals had. And it's almost reminds me of Jurassic Park to the point where they say, hey, just because you think that you could do something like play him at corner to cover doesn't necessarily mean you should. And we saw a touchdown given up by having Simmons at corner having a, I think it was Breon Borders being the other corner player there. There's a mix-up that happens at least because even if Simmons made the right decision or something, they just didn't have the ability to react. If Borders was off, there was so much of trying, I think, in the Cardinals to solve some of these issues when depth became a burden on them that ultimately we've seen with Arizona. There just has not been the guys on the same page. And I think that's been an avenue that has... Kind of, we've seen improvement from 2019 when the Cardinals were the worst pass defense in the NFL with no Patrick Peterson, rookie corners, no linebackers to speak of. 
We've seen improvement in a lot of areas, but I think that what we've seen with Cliff and with Vance is the way that they've tried to coach and scheme and what they've been given is try to put the star players for the Cardinals on display. Try to make it where, you know, it's the big stops from J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones in coverage. And I think Vance is the type of guy who he wants to play defense in a regard of just simply trying to find ways to get stops getting off the field. And I think that this is coming back to the area of Cardinals are probably in this current state, it feels like that they are not going to fix these problems without either Steve Keim and their front office making changes to be like, all right, we're going to take our hands off of what the needs are, what we feel like the Cardinals are, let you as coaches have some of the reign and control, which can be risky in some regards. We saw how Cliff Kingsbury with Andy Isabella had a lot of things they wanted for him. They brought the player in, suddenly realized, oh gosh, this is a guy who's confined to the slot and a player that ultimately is a body catcher that doesn't have that same catchability and is going to take two or three years to develop into this Julian Edelman style role we see for him because Edelman and Wes Welker were on years four and five in the league before they truly were able to take off. And the Cardinals needed a four or three guy. Now they still three years later do not have that type of speedster who's made plays down the field. If they have that in Rondale Moore, that's great. We just have not seen them use him. Yeah, exactly. Role, so. And the other thing with Andy Isabella is that he, he couldn't play within the, the timing of the offense because he couldn't get off the line right. of scrimmage. He, he was, yeah. Routes he was a lot too of long. jab step, took too long. this, that, the other, too long to get off the line of scrimmage. When he's supposed to be in a spot, he's not there. We can't throw the ball to him. Um, yeah, just, just a lot of, I, I, and again, Wherever that came from, be it Cliff saying, I need this player, with a Steve Kime saying, this player is really good, wherever that fit in our, in the decision making process, I guess, it, it was just, it was a mistake all round because you had a guy coming through the, the lower levels of competition who impressed, got to a senior bowl, really looked good in one on ones, and then faded. And he looked good on the one-on-ones because timing wasn't an issue. He could do his dance around the line of scrimmage and use his short area quickness to get past the corner. And uh, on the field, within the scheme of an offense, you're not going to be able to make that happen. Um, and look, Andy Isabella is a guy that we all look at the, the touchdown he scored against the 49ers. And it's that kind of ability that he does have just that that speed and ability to get away from people that it's just it's disappointing that you can't get on that on the field but you know if you could put that on the field and succeed with it you'd have nfl teams going out and signing top sprinters day in day out <laughs> where you yeah. know not everyone's bullet bob hayes and you're not going to come into the hall of fame after after winning olympic medals but it's that it's that there's a scarcity of that resource in the nfl and when you can actually combine that with someone who can play the position too, you're going to strike gold. So hopefully, hopefully you've got a little bit of that in Rondale Moore. Um, we've definitely seen flashes. He's he's definitely a far better receiver than Andy Isabella could ever wish to be. Um, so that's that's something to especially do. the the Niners catch where you saw like one of the areas of recognizing some of the awareness, getting off the coverage, the toe tapping. There's a lot of areas that I think we saw where I think the issue with Andy Isabella is 
not been maybe even the player, but the expectations as a second round pick because of the speed, because of who the other players who were who either went before or after him from that draft. Things have been blown out of proportion in a lot of different ways versus if he was a you know fifth round pick that you're seeing as a developmental player. More, I think at least you've seen a lot of how he's been able to carry a little bit more and he's going to be It'll be interesting to see his role next year. Is he going to step up into the Christian Kirk role? Do they try to sign areas? Do they utilize Zach Ertz more in the passing game or add other spots at tight end? I think that the Cardinals offense, and this is what was someone gave to me, was if you look at how their offense is designed and you look at where they use Kyler's legs, there's a lot of limits that the Cardinals have kind of put on him as far as fit where, let's take the Tennessee Titans, for example, who run a ton of bootlegs under center play action, turning their back to the quarterback that allows A.J. Brown to get downfield and also sets up their running back in Derrick Henry to make some big plays. Suddenly you turn into, all right, we're getting killed out there by Derrick Henry. We got to start bringing more guys into the box. Suddenly you end up seeing a lot more of taking advantage of places. And I think that the Cardinals, all that they can really do with Cliff when they get down is be able to spread the teams out wide, throw the ball around a lot, and then hope that you're going to have those receivers making plays against one-on-one coverage that puts such a stress on your offensive line. And I think that's where what we've seen is that the the receivers having to quickly separate, get open quickly, there have been not as many great fits for that with the Cardinals, whereas if you look at a team like the Bengals who looked and said, we can either take an offensive lineman who's a rookie that's going to struggle or take a guy right out of college in Joe Burrow's number one target in Jamar Chase, suddenly you end up seeing, even though Burrow's taking some hits and maybe he can take more hits than Kyler has, maybe there's some sacks he's taken, you're also seeing some big plays down the field that then is stressing defenses to the point where it's opened up so much of that underneath game and opened up a lot for Joe Mixon to run that you can kind of see this complete offense that, like you said in the past uh, this episode, Leaning on your fastball, we're going to have it put me in empty, spread the teams out, I'll get the ball to these guys. When the Cardinals have tried to do that, they don't seem to have that same strength that's being input. I think that's one of the factors that comes in where it really feels like the Cardinals are almost a year away of fixing the defense or fixing the offense, and it feels like they're not really able to fix both. And that brings me up to this kind of question, at least we kind of get near the end of this episode, Do you think the Cardinals are maybe not doomed, but the way that I've referred to this, is this kind of a rebuild waiting to happen? And I don't say rebuild like the typical way where you say we clean house and need a new quarterback. More of you're having to kind of rebuild the team around Kyler Murray because you're probably going to be paying him quite a bit of money and not having a lot to put around him. Like the 2022 cap number players, you got some guys at least who are there with Humphreys under contract. We'll see what happens I would assume Justin Pugh is a cut because you're not keeping him at that number maybe you resign him at a lower number type of player clearing some cap room with Jordan Phillips Devon Kennard maybe you even clear that cap room with the likes of a Jordan Hicks you really have these one-year deals left for J.J. Watt you're in this fourth year of Kyler Murray you've got Rodney Hudson locking down the line but in 2023 what the Cardinals to their credit have done a good job of is having very few cap restrictions so that they can pay Kyler Murray what he needs for that year. Where they struggle a lot is they're going to be having essentially DeAndre Hopkins, Buda Baker, 
as far as their guys under contract, they'll still be paying AJ Green money that year, despite the fact that he's not under contract. And it's going to be down to those players that you really drafted in the 2020, 2021 season, the Isaiah Simmons, the Marco Wilsons, maybe an Eno Benjamin. Really, it seems to put so much pressure on these next two drafts have to have rookies that are playing early, making impact plays. And that's not something we've seen the Cardinals been willing to do. It makes me feel like are the Cardinals kind of setting themselves up for failure after this year where you enter 2023 knowing you're probably going to have a new GM and new head coach, not necessarily because you may want to or need to, but because the way that the team has been structured talent-wise, they went all in on 2021, didn't happen. They limited themselves for 2022 where they're not really able to run it back. I feel like it's one of those spots where it feels like the Cardinals may be looking at a whole new type of team, and that just doesn't seem like it's been very good team building. It feels like in some cases the uh, the rent came due for Steve Kime and how he built the Cardinals team in 2022, and it feels like it's going to have dividends paying in 2023, which I think is unfortunate given what Cliff Kingsbury has done for this Cardinals team. It feels like it's unrealistic expectation to say, hey, Cliff, you're limited this year. Go out and win 12 games in a playoff game, buddy. Otherwise, we got a brand new team that doesn't have a whole lot of talent besides their draft picks going into this 2023 season. And and you, you're a hundred you're a hundred percent right. It's not it's not we're not staring down the barrel of a restructure, but it is a it's a or not a rebuild. It's a restructure or a retool. I, I like I like the I guess the terminology of a retool. Um, and again. There's, the Cardinals currently have a full roster under contract, pre-draft, pre-free agency, under the cap number. They're not going to be able to win with that roster, but you can make moves to create space to be able to bring in the right people and the right draft picks to then be able to win with that roster. 2022 is not the all-in year that 2021 was. It's the year after the all-in year where we've still got a few of these bits and pieces floating around. We can't run it back fully, but we're going to try and run it back. Um, uh, you're, you're right. You know, you got Humphrey still on, under the, on, under, under contract, but he, he's, he's costing us $20 million against the cap this year. Yeah. And we, they looked pretty good with Calvin Beecham, who's under contract and then fine with Josh Jones at right tackle Given how he would have $15 million worth in savings, it's like, okay, are you in a capacity where you don't want to take a player off of a team that you feel like has to then suddenly fill the hole? But he's kind of the only position I feel like if you cut him, you don't have to necessarily replace him. You've got a on-roster replacement there that's ready. You've got Justin Murray who maybe will be back. That's the one spot that is interesting of you made a Pro Bowl this year. It was probably year overdue. Is that a spot where you look at Arizona and go, gosh, we're going to – let this guy go, bring in some other areas of talent, make do with tackle for a year. Maybe you don't address the interior offensive line. Maybe you address it with a tackle that you know can kind of come in and play or sit. Depending, it, There's different avenues that I think that they're in that they can make do, even if they tried to. But if they roll with Humphreys and then you go into 2023 and suddenly you're like, all right, Humphreys is no longer under contract with the Cardinals we have Josh Jones and that's about it. There's an entire offensive line. You're almost having to rebuild. It's going to be interesting to see some of those moves. If they stay married to who they think the Cardinals are versus 
maybe accept some of who they actually are that I kind of agree with you. That's, it's going to be curious. Yeah. And you know, I agree. You, you, you really need to get, you, you got to move on from a Jordan Phillips. He's probably the one guy that you can designate post June one. Cause you're going from 4 million in savings to 10 million in savings by doing that. Justin Pugh's costing you $12 million against the cap for what I would call league average at best at his position. You got Jordan Hicks is costing you $10 million against the cap. Devon Kennard's costing you $9 million against the cap. These are, these are guys who are taking up a lot of cap space who aren't giving you those returns. Um, I, I really think that these, these are, it's, it's, a really, really tough position for the team because you've got a coach and a GM under pressure to win now or you're not here. So what's best for their jobs may not be what is best for the team long term. What is best for their jobs is you're probably gonna you're probably gonna extend DJ Humphreys, give him another three or four years, bring his cap number down this year, push that problem another three years down the road. You might get rid of Phillips. You're going to want want to keep Pure around. You're going to want to keep Hicks around because these are guys that you think, maybe not Steve Kime, but Vance Joseph thinks that these are the guys that are going to take us through. You're going to get rid of Devon Kennard for, for $5 million in savings. But what can you do with that money that actually gets you better this year and into the future? And it's it's that concept of, yeah, we can cut, you can cut Jordan Hicks. I, I, I think you've got your ready-made replacements already on the roster. You don't have to replace that Hicks number. Um, but a Jordan Phillips, you've got to find, you know, you've got to find someone who's going to step in. And as, and as much as, or as, as little as he has played over the last couple of years, and same thing with Devon Kennard, who's played about 25 to 30% of the snaps in the last two years. Um, and it's, it's the same sort of number with Jordan Hicks. He's playing about 25% of the snaps. So those those are two guys that you can you can get rid of and not really have to spend money to replace. But but it's it's the way that you could go with this roster. You're not going to go go down. You're not going to go down the nuclear route where. You, you get rid of Humphreys, you get rid of Pew, you get rid of Phillips, you get rid of Hicks, you get rid of all the old players, the Deadwood, the expensive cap numbers. And then you say, it's going to be a tough year, but we're going to draft well this year. We're going to throw our young guys on the field this year. We're going to win six games this year. But next year, we're going to come into it because you've got a coach and a GM both sitting on a hot seat saying we need a playoff win. And and again, it sort of comes back to to a disconnect of owner expectation, GM expectation, coach expectation, quality of roster, and and I guess what we're looking at right now from the top down, without being overly pessimistic about it all, but it's it is a case study in how not to build a roster. It is a case study <laughs> in how not to, how not to have a front office head coach contract alignment. It is, it is a snowball of bad decisions that has culminated in, you've got an elite 
young quarterback on your team, you've got a young franchise quarterback on your team, and you cannot afford to put a good enough roster around him because of what you've done. Um, now, there is there are 19 players on the roster for 2023. At oh, nine, 19 players counting against the cap in 2023. AJ Green is one of those, and Zach Ertz is one of those. So you've actually got 17 players counting against your cap that are actually going to be on your roster. If if that, sorry, I'm looking looking at the numbers now. Jordan Phillips is is part of that number. His his contract is voided. Devon Kennard's part of that number. His contract is void. Zach Ertz, JJ Watt's part of that number. His contract is void. So you've got five, 14, 14 players. You have fourteen players on a roster for 2023. Someone's going to have some. Someone's going to have fun building that roster. It's not going to be Steve Kime. Yeah. I don't know. It's not going to be Steve Kime is the idea for that. And that's like what you said. I think Kime's approach of going year to year, kicking the can down the road. It's like this is the time to pay the Pied Piper with how everything that they did essentially came in, coming out of the draft shows that you're all you have left four years from your down the road to really claim is who are going to be the guys that you have now that you say are going to definitely be on the roster in 2023, whether that's by extension or by being able to say, we can't let this guy go. The answer to most of that, at least, is you've got Kyler and maybe you've got Jalen Thompson from that 2019 class. Maybe if Zach Allen has a solid year, you can get him at a good rate. But it shows why the draft is so important to team building because either you're making use of the talent that you're getting or you're giving up these premium types of picks to bring in a premium talent, maybe not at quite a discounted rate, but at least a rate where they're playing up to par for what you've given up for them. The example I like to think of is you trade a first second round pick for Chandler Jones, probably could have traded a first round pick for Chandler Jones and he plays up to par. Kime's best move has been to kind of get players who are stars. And I think their pro personnel department has been good. They identify James Connor as a solid player. They recognize we can trade for the likes of Zach Ertz to fill some of that role and not have to give up a lot to get them. Take advantage of, you know, recognizing that a fifth round pick who probably doesn't make this roster is not going to be worth what they have. There's been some successes. You know, I think finding Marco Wilson in the fourth round, a corner who can start for a whole year for you, has upset. I think that's solid, but it does show like the lack of drafting. And this is where you've said is we've kind of talked about this ever since that 2015 draft. The Cardinals not bringing in talent. Kime essentially by the numbers being the worst GM in the NFL. And technically he hasn't been the worst GM in the NFL, but he's the only GM of those types who still has a job in the NFL. And that's why he's all right. Well, he's worse kind of by default then that's been the case for Arizona, unfortunately. And I think you can touch more about some of that as far as what the draft picks as we kind of wrap up the show today. He he is getting the least out of his draft picks of any team in the NFL where he has found a niche. And I guess this is why we continue to see him going back to the same well over and over and over is you look at some of the back end of the Kurt Warner years. You look at through some of the Bruce Arians years where there was big success. It was playoff wins. It was championship game appearances. A lot of that was a lot of veterans on one year deals on two year deals. He's continued to 
to try and do that. But what he's found is now these vets that he's bringing in, he can't afford to pay them on a one-year deal. So he's got to pay them over a two-year deal. And then he's got to spread, he's got to put three or four void years into the back of the contract that he can spread his bonus across that then hits the cap a year after the player leaves. And a lot of those little contract and cap, cap, uh, I guess, tricks are all coming back to coming back to roost 2022 2023 is is when when it's all gonna gonna hit the hit the fan as they say but if you go back to the to the the drafting situation it it just seems like there's there's never really been any kind of long-term success i I've gone back through, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, back through all of his drafts and the number of players that actually sign a second contract with Arizona after being drafted by Steve Kime is so low that that you sort of, you know, it makes me shake my head. The resource allocation piece, we had the discussion around he's drafted more off-the-ball linebackers in the top 50 than he has offensive linemen. And you've got, You've got five spots versus two on a roster. What? What? Why the obsession with an off-ball linebacker? You know that there's, <sighs> there's a lot of a lot of second and third round receivers that aren't really performing. There's there's a lot of a lot of sort of we're trying to find a complementary piece in the second round. It's like well, you complementary pieces. You pull a complementary piece through a proven complementary piece in the NFL, not through the draft process you you go and sign go and sign a uh you go and sign a guy who's had three or four years of nfl experience as a number three and and is only willing wanting to get paid as a number three to come in and fill that number three role you look at you're not going to go you know drafting christian kirk you've got andy isabella you got rondale moore you got you can go further back. You you can go right back to the guys like Michael Floyd. You can look at Chad Williams. You can look at on the other side of the ball, a Brandon Williams at corner drafting a guy to play corner who had played half a season of college football at the position, and you're spending a top hundred pick on that guy. There's there's so many questionable decisions that, that just make no sense, you know. And and you look at Hassan Reddick. You draft a small school guy. And then you throw him throw him into a role that he didn't excel in through the draft process or in college. Deoni Buchanan, you've got you've got a guy who played safety in college and was very much spent a lot of time in deep coverage. And then you're like, all right, yeah, now nah, you're going to play inside linebacker for us because we're trying to catch lightning in the bottle twice and we're trying to find our second Daryl Washington, you know. That that whole the whole Daryl Washington situation was disappointing, and we you probably had a guy there that is is a veteran. I don't can't remember. He's probably early mid thirties on the roster at the stage, and he's probably a veteran that's you know been around the team for for a decade. But you know he couldn't couldn't keep his own life together. So there's there's been some unlucky situations there, but you know sometimes. I've I've heard it before, particularly in sports betting. You know, you know, luck is luck is where oppor- opportunity meets preparation. So you you can create your own luck, and it seems like we're we're just not we're either not prepared or the opportunity isn't presenting itself 
to to make the right draft picks, to make the right roster moves, to end up with a sustainable winning team. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it's very clear to see with you know another team in the Valley, the Phoenix Suns, ended up having years like a decade of poor play, despite the fact that they late were able to add a player of Devin Booker's caliber to the roster. Were picking in the lottery picks multiple times. I think it really came down to, you look back at Arians that I believe year they drafted Reddick compared him to Von Miller, and suddenly he's being shifted into a inside linebacker role, follow what Carlos Dansby teaches you type of area. You see how there's coaches who wouldn't want to interview as much with Arizona, one being, I think, from an Arizona Sports Insider, said Josh McDaniels, he would want to have roster control or have his own guys, how other players, at least, it seems very much like the core of where the issue, I think, stems from is that the co-team of Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime is set in what they're having, and they're dictating, I think, a lot of things to the Cardinals coaches. And like it's like even said, Rondale Moore, it's like, okay, we'll finally give you this guy who can make use of the horizontal screen game. We know that you've been trying to force passes like that to Larry Fitzgerald in the slot. It doesn't work. We'll finally let you have a little bit of this as a treat, but I think that the overall capacity of what the team needs to do to advance, and this may be part of what Kyler Murray helping propel them forward, is realizing that they're going to have to make a really drastic choice. Are we going to remain with the current team and construction that clearly is the stick in the mud? And the comparison that someone brought up that I thought was a brilliant one was to the 2015 Colts that after an AFC championship game, the roster really just bottomed out and they went eight and eight the following year. And there were contract extensions that were rewarded for those, <laughs> their head coach and GM that the owner gave because he said, all right, fine. You know, I know you should probably get fired or let go. Let's renew it. Let's just commit to you long-term. And it ultimately ended with them being dismissed. The Colts getting in a brand new team with Chris Ballard, Frank Wright coming over and Andrew Luck at that point wanted to do things other than football. And that's one of the spots where I think the Cardinals are going to have to choose between there or Michael Bidwell being able to say, all right, here's the case. Maybe some people have compared to Adrian Wilson and James Jones. Maybe you, I think, move outside the organization to bringing in a whole brand new fresh voice, being able to make a play for a combination coach GM that's able to have more of their hands on the organization and be able to say, hey, we're going to do what's going to be best for the players that we have. We're going to identify areas and give this team a lot of an identity. Because right now, I think the, the Steve Kime identity that we've seen and the identity he and Cliff has had, people asked even after, okay, Hopkins went down. What's the identity of the team? And they didn't really have one because teams took away that identity. And you didn't have Murray and Hopkins being able to make magic together with how good the quality of player they both were on offense and on defense. They didn't have the ability to showcase J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, and being able to make some of those plays. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's one of those spots where the 2022 Cardinals will tell us a lot whether Kyman and Cliff are able to radically change the way that they are preparing, building this roster, making these decisions. Or like you said, where I think lean toward you in 2023, it's going to be someone else doing it for them who's going to have a quarterback who's going to probably be under contract, who's going to have a ton of cap room to be able to play with. And I think at least it's going to be one of those spots of that assumes, of course, that Steve Kime doesn't have his back against the wall, goes crazy and like gives up, you know, multiple first round picks for an edge rusher or something or 
is trying to say, we need to go back to the Fitzbolden days. Let's go ahead and, you know, trade a first round pick for a wide receiver. Let's clear cap space to get these two wide receivers in. And, you know, maybe we try to just bring guys back onto our offensive line because we know them. There's a lot to be made, at least for the way the Cardinals will attack. I think it's going to be one of those things. This will be on our next episode. I think we'll be able to talk about how they could go about building or dressing things in free agency. That'll be more of, I think, what we'll talk about in the future. But right now, I think like you and I are in agreement that this is a spot where the current 2021 Cardinals, in one case, they're in a better spot than maybe they've ever been as a team because you're not having to go through this full-style rebuild. You probably can retool. But on the other hand, you feel like there's definitely limitations that they do have. Any final comments you want to make before we wrap up the show? It's... You know, we've all heard of QB purgatory where you've got a good enough QB to keep you competitive but not really progress your team anywhere. It's kind of like roster purgatory at the moment where you've got a team that's good enough to get somewhere between 7 and 10 wins, but you're never going to be that championship-caliber team. And we have an opportunity to be able to retool that roster, but you've also got pressure from the people on, on the people who would be retooling that roster to win and win now and win big. So you've got all sorts of different competing priorities and you're going to end up with, I, I, I can almost see now, you're going to end up with a roster that's going to win nine to 11 games, maybe win one playoff game, maybe go out in the first round again if they stay healthy. Um, and you're then going to have a really, really difficult decision between do we retain our coach, do we retain our GM, what do we do? And I I see the, the relationship between Michael Bidwell and Steve Keim as really one of the big barriers to this, this roster and this team and this franchise moving forward because any head coach that comes into that role knows that if he disagrees with his GM, the deciding vote is always going to side with the GM. So that's that's about where where I'm at at the moment. It's I'm I'm a I'm a relative Cliff fan. I'm not over the moon with him, but I'm not saying that he's the worst worst coach to ever step foot on the field. Yeah. He's adapted. The offense has improved. We've seen at least overall, like I can tell what he's trying to do and see when it works. And there's areas where I see room for improvement and the expectations that I think people had for a failed college coach coming out of Texas tech, taking on a rebuilding job to get to this point. He's kind of exceeded expectations for, I think a lot of people when you consider, you know, Freddie kitchens lasted one season in Cleveland, other coaches such as Matt rule have really struggled as far as being able to build a team, being able to not just find a quarterback, but have essentially gotten worse year over year outside of when, you know, Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey are playing the Cardinals. It feels like that's a given, (laughs) but that's a a lot of great insight. I think, Ken, why don't you go ahead and plug yourself as far as where some of the listeners are able to find you? I know there's not as much content that you are putting out, but there is at least your Twitter account and you've been an awesome job of being able to, and to keep the dialogue going with Cardinals fans, if you want to go ahead and uh, plug yourself for that. Yeah, um, just on, on Twitter is really all I've got these days, which is Kent at Kent underscore Hodder. So that's K-E-N-T underscore H-O-D-D-E-R. Check out what I've, what I've got to say. Agree with it, disagree with it, 
have a discussion. It's all, all good fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Kent Hodder, not Kent Hoder. There's no door holding here that we have. Uh, there is definitely always the door open for a conversation here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be trying to see if we can get you back next week as well, Kent, to go over all of the Cardinals free agents, some of the cuts that we have going a bit more context. Can we build together what an ideal offseason may look like for the cards? That'll be it for me. I'm at Blake Murphy 7 This has been the ROTV Podcast.